There's still some sheets in the back, so if you would like to donate to the Troop um, Baptist Association, you can take one of those, bring your uh, what you collect to us, and we'll take that along. There's a group going pretty soon, I believe, to clean up a yard and kind of help with cleanup. If, you have any, if you're interested in that, you can see Neil, and uh, he'll point you in the right direction. A few uh, specific things coming up. So next Sunday, we're having our annual softball fundraiser. That's next Sunday evening. It'll be starting around 3 o'clock. You just come out, and we put you on a team, and we play softball, and it's to help raise money for um, our camps and our VBS this summer. So um, if you're interested in that, ages 12 and up are are encouraged to play. You can take one of these flyers, and and there's even a a code here where you can sign up, register online if you'd like to. It's no set cost, just a donation of your choice to come and play. It's always a really fun time. Um, Even if you're not very good, it's also a fun time to come out and just try it out. Um, We are not ultra competitive. At least we suppress that um, and just try to have fun. So I hope you'll come and be a part of that. If you don't want to play and you just want to come hang out and watch, we always enjoy that as well. You will not be unentertained. Um, Graduate Sunday is Sunday, May the 7th. Um, If you know of a graduate who I have not contacted yet, if you've not heard from me and you know someone graduating this year, please let me know. I would love to get you the information that we'll need. We want to honor your graduate that Sunday morning. Um, So that is May the 7th. And then also three big things coming up this summer are VBS, Cross Camp, which is our student camp, and Camp Rockridge. I know that that's a lot. That's all for different age groups, but we literally have a form for everyone. Um, I want to make sure everyone knows VBS is for ages 3 through the 6th grade, okay? Age 3 through the 6th grade, so pre-K through 6th grade, Um, because I think there may have been a mistype on the announcements on the screen. It said 3rd grade through 6th grade, so ages 3 through 6th grade. And what I've done, there's a table in the back specifically dedicated to VBS, Um, I printed off a list of everyone who volunteered last year. Your name's on that list, um, and and the position that you were in last year is on that list. So if you plan to help again, all you got to do is go and write your shirt size down. If you can't help this year, if you'll just mark your name out, and if you didn't volunteer last year but you want to this year, I encourage you to. There's empty spaces where you can fill that in. Uh, But VBS is one of our biggest, to me, one of our biggest outreaches that we have And so our hope is to get as many people signed up for VBS as possible. So if you'll take one of these as well, it has a a code where people can sign up and register their kids early. I know that was a lot. Um, So my hope in all of this is to point you ultimately and say, hey, all this is on our website. And if you have any questions about anything related to anything I just said, just ask me. I'm around, okay? Um, But thank you all for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you in advance for volunteering. as you all do so well. So I'm going to ask Jeff Rude if he'll come forward, and he's going to read our call to worship. I'm going to come forward instead. Oh, you are? <laughs> yeah. We're going to wait and do our um, reading in the middle of our worship. And so if you'll stand, we're going to go ahead and begin singing this morning. <laughs> Remember, Mr. Jeff, I told you you're going to be the special today. We're going to save it. We're going to have some singing, some preaching, some singing, and some more preaching. We're going to start with singing three verses of my Savior's love. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me. Tears for his own griefs, but 
may be seated for our scripture reading. So I get the green light? Yeah. All right, Catherine gave me the green light. We're ready to go. Today I'm reading out of John chapter 12, starting with verse 23. But because it's going to start out, and Jesus answered them, well, you got to go back a couple verses because some Greeks showed up for the festival and they went to Philip and said, hey, we, we want to see Jesus. So Philip went to Andrew and then Andrew and Philip went to Jesus and said, hey, there's some Greeks out here that, that want to see you. So Jesus began and Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for the purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. There came therefore a voice out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The multitude therefore who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying no one angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world, and now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. And I like that. Because he says, now the ruler of the world is cast out. So he's telling them, when I finish what I'm doing, Satan doesn't have any more power over us. And I, if I be lifted up upon the earth and will draw all men to myself. Also notice he says, draw. He's not saying force. Jesus is not going to force us, but he'll draw us. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. There's, there's a lot there, Neil. You can probably do that for months. And I'm sitting there, when I read it, I'm sitting there thinking, I know I need to comment on it because there's no special music. <laughs> but the one thing I always, that I go back to, because as you know, I like to garden. You ever seen a tomato seed? A little, it's hard for me to grab them sometimes to put them in dirt. Rose, I know you know how big they are. But I looked it up this morning, and a regular tomato has 300 seeds. So out of that little bitty seed comes 300 seeds. And that's, that's why Jesus did what he did. We would not be here today had Jesus not died. There would, be, there would probably be no church because the church grew after, after Jesus died. He's talking about being a servant. Well, if you're a servant or an employee, then you're talking about work. And you're talking about wages. So Jesus says, if you're a servant, follow me, do what I say. Try to live your life the way I do. And, and what are your wages? God, God's going to honor us. So that, that's our wages. But there, there's so much in here, I'm not going to steal Neil Sunder. Uh, but if you get a chance, read, the, read those 10 verses. Because there is a lot. And that's one of the things I like about the book of John. It talks more about what the words Jesus spoke. So if you get a chance, read it, study it, meditate on it, and maybe you'll come up with some more ideas like I did. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your mercy. It was this mercy that sustains us throughout the day. And thank you for Jesus sending him. I know it was, it was hard for you to sacrifice your only son. And Jesus, I know it was hard for you to to bear my sins on the cross, but I thank you for that. I thank you for your love and your mercy. I thank you didn't leave me as an orphan. That you sent the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we need you to lead us and guide us. And we just ask you to be in this congregation today and speak through Neil and let us take the message that Neil's going to teach us today home and Apply it to a world who says, oh, that was thunder, or maybe it's an angel. Uh, because the world just doesn't want to listen. They don't want to hear, hear your word.
So we need to pray for those people. We just thank you and praise you for all the many blessings that you've given us throughout our lives. And we're looking forward to that wage we're going to receive when we stand before you. And you're going to, you're going to honor us for following Jesus Christ. It's his name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing Mr. Jeff's favorite song. Y'all stand with us.
precious blood's atoning, then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me. for the victory that we have in Jesus, God, and thank you for just how much you love us, God, um, and that you sent your son to Calvary to bear um, the sin and shames on our behalf, God. Lord, we just pray that you will um, be with us during this worship service, God. Be with us as we turn to worship you through a time of study, God. Lord, be with us as we open the book of Galatians, and may we just um, leave this building, God. I'm just enthused to go tell others about the victory we have in Jesus, God. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you, and we thank you for our children's workers and those who will be going to Children's Church. We pray that you bless their time as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And children are going with Miss Shannon in the back for Children's Church. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn, as Catherine said, to the book of Galatians. We are working our way through this great book on Christian freedom. Last Sunday morning, of course, Easter Sunday morning, and so we are still living in the light of the resurrection, learning how to appropriate and apply the fact that He lives to our daily living. And I think this passage, of course, viewing it through that lens helps us do that. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. I'm going to read through verse 26. And I guess the headline this morning is the promise of life in Jesus. God's promise of life in Jesus. What does that mean? 
what all does that entail? I think the whole book of Galatians describes the new life we have in Christ, but today we will specifically be speaking of the gift of justification by faith and what all that means. So pick up in Galatians 3.15. Now the very first word of this section is a change in tone. Because he begins by calling them brethren. If you notice in chapter 3 verse 1, he called them foolish. <laughs> so they have moved in the Apostle Paul's heart and mind from being foolish foolishly tempted to follow the Judaizers to, at this point in the letter, he says to himself, hey, I need to encourage these people because even though they may be sliding down a foolishness scale, we are all still family. We are family in Christ. So brethren, he says, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside. No one adds conditions to it. He's saying on a human level, if you have a will or a covenant or a legal document, we don't add to that and we don't take away from that without repercussions and consequences. So certainly... In the economy of God, if God has said it, if God has said it, it, it's said. So, verse 16, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. Christ is the seed. Now, the passage that Jeff read, uh, Jeff, thank you so much for your comments and, and, and reading in heart. That passage was connected in my mind because Christ is the seed. And Paul means it in a different sense, but I couldn't help but think that Jesus, as the seed, went into the ground and died and bears much fruit. So... A different twist, I guess, on the different ideas of what a seed is and what a seed can do. But in this particular case, the promise made to Abraham was ultimately to Christ in verse 16. What I'm saying is this. The law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. So notice already we've got this contrast between a law or the law and a promise. So let's just pause just for a second to kind of set the context. There's a big difference between a promise and the law. And would you and I rather live under a promise or under a law? Now he's going to explain later that it's the same one who gave the promise who also gave the law. So there's a reason that God gave both and they complement one another. But to Abraham God made a promise and to Moses God gave the law. Now, just on a human level, a promise sounds so much more appealing. A promise entails commitment and love and relationship. And so you will have your children at times saying, But, but Dad, you, you what? You promised. <laughs> now, if you and I are given a law, oh, we fold our arms and we stiffen up because none of us by nature like to be told what to do or forced into something. So as I read this, think about God making a promise which is very relational and God giving the law which is very legal. So that's just some added context that I hope will help. But anyway, so verse 19 asks a question. It begs the question, well, then why the law? 
Paul says the law was added because of transgressions having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed should come to whom the promise has been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? He says may it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life If a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up all men under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So when you're faced or given a promise... The way you respond to a promise is to believe it. So God made a promise to Abraham and Abraham believed it. But when someone gives you a law, a law must be what? It must be obeyed. It must be done. A promise is believed. A law is to be practiced. So in verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept in custody. We were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor, or our schoolmaster, or child conductor. Some of your versions have different words and phrases there where the New American Standard has tutor. And I'll say a good bit about that, hopefully, later on. But the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. But now, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We'll stop there. Father, thank you for your word to us through Galatians. Thank you for both the law and the gospel. We need the law, Lord, to break us to humble us, to pierce us, so that we might run to Christ for the only way out, the only way of salvation, through his death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you for our time today. May you instruct us and teach us and change us through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I've still got the resurrection of Jesus in my heart and mind, and I guess we as Christians should always live in light of the resurrection. We are never done with the impact of the resurrection. So for the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking back to a book that I read uh, back in the fall. Some of you may have read it. It's on my level. It's a children's book by C.S. Lewis part of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I actually brought the book uh, with me this morning. I brought it last Sunday morning as well, but I decided not to, to read it. But Bennett and I have been going through some of this off and on. And back in the fall, I came to this part where Lucy, the two girls in the story, if you're familiar with it at all, Lucy and Susan think that Aslan, the lion... The Christ figure is dead. But early one morning, they come to where Aslan had been killed by the witch. And they realize that he's not dead, but that he is alive. And they're processing this. And they're thinking through this, and as they think through what has happened, Aslan the lion, the Christ figure, and Lewis pictures this so well, Aslan shows up. And Lucy says, oh, you're real, you're real, Aslan, cried Lucy. And both girls flung themselves upon him and covered him with kisses. But what does it all mean, asked Susan, when they were somewhat calmer. 
Then Aslan says this, It means, says Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known, here it is, when a willing victim, which is what Aslan was, who had committed no treachery, was killed in a traitor's stead, the table, and in this sense picturing the table of the law, would crack, it would be broken, and death itself would start working backward. And then Aslan says, and now, and Lucy says, oh yes, now? Lucy's jumping up, she's clapping her hands. Oh children, said the lion, I feel my strength coming back to me. Oh children, catch me if you can. And then Lewis in the next few pages describes the, the running and the jumping and the playing and the joy and the energy of being with Aslan now that he has gone from death to life. Now, what did that mean to me and what does it mean in connection with where we are? It means that Aslan says, as scripture says, that now everything has changed. Now we're living in a new day. Now instead of being under the law, we have a relationship. Instead of being under rules, we now can enjoy a daily relationship with the living Christ on a regular basis. And the book of Galatians does a lot to emphasize and highlight how things have now changed. But one of the things Aslan said is this is nothing new. This promise and this story goes back before time began. Jesus Christ is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. So God initiated this whole gospel story with a promise. A promise. To bring life and forgiveness and hope through the seed that he promised. And that seed is Christ. So what I want to do is, now that we live in light of the resurrection, now that Christ is alive and we enjoy this relationship, let's go back and see what did God mean by giving the law. Because we're not done with the law. The law still has a very necessary an important function in our lives. Now, he also used the phrase, not just the law, but the Scripture. In fact, if you look, what is it? Verse 22. All of God's Word, including the law which is God's Word, has a divine and necessary importance in the life of the believer and in the life of of the unbeliever. So I've, I've got some work to do, so let me get busy. Number one, God reveals our need for justification. Justification means to be put right in your relationship with God. But by nature, we are not right with God. We are not righteous. But God has given His Word and particularly his law, to expose our sin and guilt. So if you go specifically to verse 19, Paul tells the Galatians, because the Judaizers are saying, wait a second, Paul, you can't tell people that all they have to do is trust Jesus. What are you going to do with the law? What are you going to do with Moses? What are you going to do with all those Old Testament instructions that have value and meaning? God gave those instructions. What do we do with them? Well, Paul tells us in verse 19 why the law was added after the promise. Paul said the law was added because of what? Transgressions. Well, what's a transgression? It's crossing a boundary. So what you have in the Ten Commandments are the boundaries that you and I are not to cross. Now, by nature, we are boundary crossers. 
By nature, we are rebels. By nature, we don't respond well to the law. In fact, the law actually makes us worse. The law draws out my pride. The law draws out my ego. The law draws out the fact that I don't want anybody or anything ruling over my desire for autonomy. The law reveals to us what is wrong, and the law reveals to us where we are wrong by giving God's clear boundaries which reflect His character. But both the Scripture and the law reveal to us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that all of us have transgressed those boundaries. So God gave the law to prove to us how sinful we really are. Now, like some of you, I like to spend my Easter Sunday afternoon catching up on the only golf tournament that I really ever watch, the Masters in Augusta. And y'all ever watch the Masters? And as I watch the Masters, I say to myself, my golf game is absolutely horrible. Now, I already know that, the, that my golf game's horrible. I know that I stink at it, okay? But when you look at what I think was hole number 18, and you've got this very narrow fairway, huge old pines on both sides, Man, it'd be like telling me to hit a golf shot my drive through those doors back there. There's fans on both sides. Somebody in my family said, Neil, if you were playing, you could hit fans on both sides of that fairway with your tee shot. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I need to be playing in the wide open where there are absolutely no boundaries, right? Why did God give the law? To show us the boundaries so that we would really know that by nature we are not holy. By nature we are not righteous. And you and I with no boundaries begin to do what we by nature do. And that's compare ourselves to other people. Or compare ourselves to the, the, the ideal uh, delusions that we have of, of who we are and what we're about. So God gave the law to show me how off I really am in my nature, and the truth be known, relative to a holy and righteous God, all of us are way off. So the law was added because of our transgressions to show us where we cross the boundary. The law and the scriptures expose who we really are. It's like going into the light. It's like turning a light on. The, the, the Bible reads us. This is a book that reads us. It's a mirror that shows us who we really are in relationship to God. And that's one reason why people avoid the Bible. Is that as we read this, it reveals to us the responsibilities and failures that we have in our own nature. But I digress. Look at verse 22. Paul is explaining how God reveals our need for rescue. Our need for justification. In verse 22, he says something very interesting. The scripture has shut up all men under sin. Now, you, it does close our mouth, okay? It does shut me up from all my excuses and my lying and my, my false state. The, the law does, but, but what he actually means by this statement is that the scripture has hemmed me in. The Greek word there is sunkleo. It means to be shut up together on all sides. So not only does the law render me guilty, but the law locks me up in prison, preventing my escape. This word was used to describe cities that were closed off and guarded, besieged by a hostile army. This word was used to picture those who were bound or kept in chains. This word was used to describe a large catch of fish that was locked up and enclosed in a, in a net. So the commandments and the law of God has shut me in and, 
and locked me up, proving that I need rescue from outside of myself. Martin Luther said this, The principal point of the law is to make men not better but worse. That's to say it shows them their sin, that by knowledge thereof they may be humbled, terrified, bruised, and broken, and by this means may be driven to seek grace. And so to come to the blessed seed who is Christ. Several weeks ago, I was just randomly listening to some radio stations and I caught a talk show. And the guys on the talk show were talking about an incident that I had vaguely remembered from the late 80s, 1987. The rescue of baby Jessica McClure out of a well in Midland, Texas. Do y'all remember that? I had vaguely remembered that news story, but after they mentioned it, and they were just highlighting different stories in the news media over the past few decades, and they said, man, one of the stories that stood out was the rescue of baby Jessica. If you're not familiar with it, at 18 months old, Jessica fell into a well in her aunt's backyard. And she was 22 feet under the ground, hemmed in, trapped. Rescue workers worked for 56 hours to get her out of that well. And eventually they did. There was rock around the, the, the small hole that was the opening to the well, so they had to be very creative and, and engineer this rescue in a way that, that wouldn't harm her, but would rescue her. And so if you Wikipedia this, there's good news at the end of it in that she eventually well, graduated high school. She eventually married. She eventually had children. Baby Jessica, in my thinking, was a pretty good picture of you and I under sin. And under the law. So trapped. So desperate. So incapable of doing anything to merit righteousness before God. That God sent Christ to rescue us from our desperate position under the law. Under curse. Buried in sin. That's why God sent Christ. And every Christian ought to resonate with a statement that I read a few weeks ago by someone else who described the point to which he had to come to in order to find salvation and help. He said this, I'm so grateful to have reached complete desperation. It made me teachable, willing, and hungry for a better way. They say that when the, and this is what hit me, they say that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And they appeared in droves, and they continued to, to appear. My part is to stay green, grateful, and willing. Does that resonate with you at all? That at some point, at some point in your life, if you're born again, if you've turned to Christ, at some point you must admit your need your desperate need for rescue. And all Paul is saying to the Galatians is that the law and the scripture prove that all of us are buried under sin and guilty and in need of the good news. So first the bad news. Now here's the good news. The good news is that God also has revealed that a redeemer has been provided. God reveals to us the source of our justification. Meaning, when you go to Scripture, it illuminates and it, it magnifies and it lifts us the source of our justification, who is Jesus Christ himself. From beginning to end, this book is about Christ. From beginning to end. Because before the foundation of the world, God made a promise. Now, what was interesting to me about this passage, if you're still listening, God made a promise to Abraham 
But as I work through this, the particulars indicate that God didn't just make a promise to Abraham, that God first made a promise to himself. Now, now go with me to verse 16. He says, The promises were spoken to Abraham, and after all, a promise is only as good as the one who makes it. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds as referring to many, but rather to one. So the promise, to, the promise was to your seed, that is Christ. Taking this literally, the promise was made to Jesus. Now, if that's not evidence enough, there's more evidence in verse 19. Look at the end of verse 19. Until the seed should come to whom the promise had made. So who was the promise made to? The seed. Who is the seed? Christ. What means this? This means that in eternity past, God the Father made a promise to Jesus. That's pretty heavy. Because that means that God made a promise to himself before he ever created the universe. Now, you and I at times will make promises to ourselves. I promised myself I wasn't going to say that. I promised myself I wasn't going to act this way. I promised myself that I would never do that. And so one of the ways we realize how sinful we are is we are terrible promise keepers. And we could give some heavy evidence proving that on a deeper scale. But you and I are bad at keeping our promises. We're bad at keeping our promises to ourselves. But think about God, holy God, all-knowing, sovereign, righteous, perfect in every way. God made a promise to Jesus to justify you and me, sinful as we are, through his death and resurrection. Before the foundation of the world, God had all this already planned out. You and I are so secure in Christ because the evidence that God kept the promise to his son, we talked about last week when he arose from the dead. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Jesus, throughout his life and ministry, was following the will of the Father straight through the Garden of Gethsemane, straight through the cross, and on the other side is the resurrection. If God has not withheld his son from us, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? So is the promise good? Absolutely. God was going to keep his word to Abraham, of course. But God was going to be true to himself. And that's the heart of the gospel. But again, God is revealing Jesus to us. And there's some interesting ways that he tells us that the word does this. For example, look at verse 23. Stay with me here because I need to describe 23 and 24 as to what this child conductor was, this schoolmaster. Let's let's just go to 24. The law is like a schoolmaster leading us to Christ. So the law puts me in prison, it hems me up, and it leads me to Jesus because he's the only way out. He's the only way of salvation. Now the Greeks and the Romans, parents, you're going to be interested in this if you have school-aged children between the age of 6 and 16. Because the Greeks and the Romans would have servants or slaves that they would hire or commit to this task of taking their children to school. These child conductors... Were, 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 were harsh at times, but they did a lot of the hard work in that they were responsible for the child's uh, moral development, educational development, religious development. They had somebody in charge of the children to drive them to school. Man, sign me up, right? Where do you get these people? But in this particular culture, these taskmasters at times could be very harsh in fact, there are pictures in, in ancient texts and in, in ancient documents of, of these people with like a, a rod or a staff. And so they were cruel to the children, but the point was to school them, to educate them, to discipline them. 
I mean, I'll be honest, I pictured the principal that I had in elementary school, Mason Alford. Wonderful man, good principal. He walked those halls with a paddle in his back pocket. And you talk about a schoolmaster, you talk about a taskmaster. If you were on the wrong end of Mason Alford as I was at one time, you felt it and you knew it. And you didn't want to cross those boundaries ever again. Now what Paul is saying is that God gave the law to drive us to Jesus. God gave us his boundaries and his rules to illuminate us so that we would recognize that the only way out, the only way of hope is in is in the seed, the promise, who is Christ. We're all hemmed up with no place to go. What do we do? We go to God's Word, and we allow it to pronounce us wretched and dead. And then we fly to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation and life. And hope. The law was to send us to the promise. And again, there are illustrations all over this one. But around Christmas time, in fact, it was Christmas Day, Tracy and I and our family were traveling to Auburn on I 85, headed to family Christmas. Terrible traffic jam. Everybody's hemmed up. No place to go. But eventually some desperate drivers. Y'all know that far side of the road, the shoulders on the interstate? Hey, these dads weren't missing Christmas. They got way over there and put it in reverse. And I kid you not, backed up in reverse several miles to find the exit to escape that mess. I was like, look at those dumb dads. What are they doing? And the reason I said that, I was jealous that I couldn't get over there and do it myself. (laughs) So we just sat there. We just sat there. God's word and God's law, the role, the divine purpose, is to drive us, to send us to rescue and salvation in Christ. So, So rescue is needed but a redeemer has been provided. Let me, let me close this. And, and, and always, that's, that's eventually what we want to do. At some point, we have to stop. But the way I want to stop this is I want us to notice that there are blessings that are revealed by God that are the blessings of justification. Scripture promises that if you are driven to Christ for salvation... That is a new and better life. You're no longer under the law. You're no longer in prison. You're no longer under that principal who has a paddle in his back pocket whipping you down every day because you fail to keep the law. We now enjoy a free relationship with Aslan, the Christ. And we run and we jump and we play and we live because he lives in us. And so what I want to show you is that in verse 25 there's a huge transition That says, but now, but now, faith has come. The opportunity is here. Now is the time. And if you sort back through this, the promises that are made in this text, and it's my job to do the work and then to give it to you. So I'm going to, I did the work and I'm going to give it to you. And earlier in this text, he says that there is an inheritance that we have that's imparted not by the law and not by your moral improvement and not by your self-effort, but the inheritance is imparted not by the law but by faith. What a blessing. An inheritance. God's inheritance. All that God has and all that God is. Number two, life is imparted not by the law but by faith. Life. We've already passed from death to life if we believed in Jesus. There's eternal life to come. Righteousness, the third blessing in this text alone. Righteousness, Paul says, is not imparted by the law, but by faith. Then last he says, and this is in verse 26, we become children of God not through the law, but through faith. 
So scripture promises the blessing of those who surrender and place faith and trust in Jesus as their redeemer and their source of righteousness before Almighty God. So the law is driving us to a much better blessing of the but now, the now that is placing faith in Jesus. So here's the $64,000 question. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you moved out of the law-based economy into the relationship by grace economy that God has provided in Christ? Now. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Do not presume in pride or, or, or in arrogance on, on anything being available tomorrow. Now is the time to place faith in Christ. because, But now is the time that God has revealed to us Christ and made available these great blessings by His grace. Watching the Masters, here's my close. There was an amateur from Texas who had two really good rounds the first two days of the tournament. The name was easy for me to remember because his name is Sam Bennett. I got two of those in my family. Sam Bennett Aubrey is what I, you know, ought to have been named. And if you know his story, you know that his father, who taught him to play golf as a child, died. I wrote it down. That I couldn't remember. June the 12th of 2020. At the age of 45, by early onset of Alzheimer's, the last words that his father gave to him, his father wrote out somehow on a piece of paper, a pad or something, and some of you saw this, that Sam Bennett's motivation now, he has tattooed on his forearm in the exact same form and way and type his dad had written it out. Choppy, scattered, a little difficult to read. But his dad's last words to him, and he's been using this as motivation, was don't wait to do something. Don't wait. Don't wait to do something. Over and over the scriptures make clear that this wonderful gift of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that, that, that you and I now live in the, the wonderful but now, but now. What about you? Maybe you're already a believer, but there still are some things that you haven't done that you know in your heart of heart you must do. What are those things? Before the foundation of the world, God made a promise. A promise to himself. To be our father, to be our savior, to be our rescuer. Isn't it wonderful that you and I are now living in the now of the living Christ and being able to serve, love, and be loved by him every single day? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and grace. Paul was very clear to the Galatians, that there's nothing else besides Jesus, the promise that is needed. But Lord, we're so stubborn. We put things off. We're so hesitant and fearful. So we need a law. We need a schoolmaster. We need, we need something to come alongside us and, and, and drive us to Christ, to break us and humble us and put us in a desperate position so that we can find life and healing. I just thank you for your patience. I thank you for your forbearance. It's the kindness of God that even leads us to repentance. Father, you've been very kind to give us the now. Help us to use it wisely and to use it faithfully. And to have the law now in our hearts living not out of Fear, but out of gratitude that we do really desire to love you and serve you and worship you and love other people as your law commands. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen. Let's stand and sing about, hey, God's, God's faithfulness. Amen. Sing that chorus one more time. Our saving grace is the faithfulness and the loving kindness of God to us. So uh, what an appropriate song to close with. Hey, one uh, shopkeeping thing. Is Sarah Beth back there? I see you back there. Sarah Beth, come up here. You had a, yes, I'm calling her forward. Sarah Beth had a birthday this week, and I just want to emphasize from my perspective and Bryson's perspective, really the whole church, Sarah Beth does so much as our intern 
and we are blessed to have her. She grew up here, and she's bearing fruit here, and we have a birthday card for you. As, as my... <laughs> As my grandmother used to say, now don't lose it. It might have something in it. So. <laughs> but we are grateful for Sarah Beth and the, the love for Christ and our church family that she continues to show. That's just a, a token of our appreciation. Now, I know the choir's practicing today at 5. Uh, adults and students are uh, both meeting tonight at 6, and then deacons meeting at 7. So for some of you, that's a busy evening. Catherine, will you close this yeah, um, looks like we are taking um, Lottie Moon offering again this week in the back. So those um, guys are there with those offering plates. We're going to sing He is Lord together. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every Subscribe. 